message from one of our Sunday celebrations. And you can find out more about Jubilee by visiting our website at www.jubilee.org.uk. message is going to be part of the Alpha course and going to feed into that. So if you're on Alpha, then this is part of uh, what you've been looking at over the previous few weeks. And uh, just before the rest of you go to sleep, this is relevant for you as well. So even if you've done Alpha previously or you're regularly part of Jubilee, I'm trusting that this morning's message will serve you and uh, encourage and maybe challenge you as well. So I'm trusting that there's something uh, in it for all of us. So this morning's message is entitled, What About the Church? What About the Church? And uh, over Alpha, we look at a number of things about uh, the Lord Jesus himself and uh, why, why he died, uh, you know, what some of the reasons were, uh, God's plan for our lives. And in part of uh, or one of the sessions is entitled, Well, What About the Church? And so if you're new to church, be it us as a local church here in Jubilee, or there's the church at all, then I'm trusting this morning will be helpful to you. And if you've been around a while, and some of you have been around a while, then um, I'm trusting this may challenge you also. So why don't we pray, and then we'll see what God has for us this morning, okay? Father, we do thank you for your presence with us, and we pray now as we open your word that you would speak to us. Lord God, give us ears to hear what you'd have to say to us this morning. Give us open hearts to receive. Help me to communicate well. We pray that you might be glorified in these moments. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So the word church conjures up various images, doesn't it? I guess uh, depending on your experience or background or maybe what you've been involved with previously, it may conjure up different things. So anything from the sort of Vicar of Dibley type image perhaps. Um, which is bound to be on at Christmas, isn't it? It always is, so you can get your dibbly fix if you're looking for that. Or maybe if you say the word church, the first thing that comes to mind is perhaps a sort of dusty-looking uh, Victorian building at the end of your road that's, you know, maybe partly overgrown and, you know, partly falling apart. Maybe you think of, firstly, you know, half a dozen old ladies singing an ancient hymn very badly and out of tune. Which, of course, is nothing like this morning at all. Um, but it's interesting that the majority of people in this country, I would suggest, probably think of one of those things, you know, Vicar of Dibley or Victorian Building or a group of old ladies singing out of tune. They probably think of that before they would think of something like this. Is that fair, do you think? I think for most people in this country, most people in the UK... When you say the word church, the first thing that would come to mind would not be something like this on a Sunday morning. It would be something quite different. And in fact, for most people, the word church actually describes a building rather than, as we will see, a group of people, which is the Bible's use of the word. And so this morning I want to look at how the Bible uses the word church, consider some of the different analogies that... Uh, it, is, it uses to describe the church, and uh, I'm expecting there'll be some challenge as we go along the way. Okay, so that's where we're heading for this one. That's what we've got in front of us in these moments that remain. So, how does the Bible use the word church? Well, the Greek word for church is ecclesia, and it means simply an assembly 
or a gathering of people. So it doesn't describe a building, but rather it describes people and it describes a group of people. And in the New Testament, there are two contexts really for the word church, the the universal church and the local church. So firstly, the universal church, well, that applies to all churches around the world and you could could apply it uh, to the people of God over all time. In fact, you know, the, the, the word church might be as wide uh, as that. In Matthew 16, Jesus says to, to Simon Peter, he says, Who do you say I am? And Simon Peter answered, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus replied, I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. So Jesus wasn't talking about a particular building at the end of Peter's road, but rather he was talking about on Peter, he was going to build, and indeed on the other apostles, he was going to build the church that was to come and would be going on until Jesus returns again. But actually the ultimate product of God's plan, the sort of perfected gathering of his people, actually we find in heaven itself. And the church should be a foretaste of heaven. I wonder, do you think of the church as a foretaste of heaven? Some of you might think, well, if heaven's like this, I'm not sure about it. But actually, what the church should be when it's working well and as God intends for the church to be, it's like an outpost of heaven. It's like a foretaste of what is to come. It gives us a flavour of what things will be like in the future. So, in the, in the book of Revelation, the last book, Uh, of the Bible, we find in much of it John's vision uh, of heaven. And in Revelation 7, we we get a description. We get a description of what John sees. It's Revelation 7, verse 9. He says this, After this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count, from every nation, tribe, people and language, standing before the throne and in front of the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands. They cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. So so John saw this great multitude of people from all sorts of different nationalities and peoples and languages and backgrounds. There's a very diverse community that he saw there, not just from one nation or people group, but from many. And actually what you find in, in Scripture is that God speaks to one particular nation, right in the, right in the book of Genesis. And when he speaks to, uh, to Abraham, and he t- talks to Abraham about him having a people for himself, this sort of gathering, it was always with an intention to go to the other nations. It was never just to main, remain a restrictive thing. But rather it was from one nation to many if you like, from the local to the international. And so in in Revelation there, right at the end of the Bible, you see fulfilled what God speaks to Abraham about in the beginning, in Genesis, the beginning of the Bible. And it's his promise fulfilled that all nations will be blessed. And actually the church should offer something of a foretaste of that now, being a blessing to the nations, being something of heaven on earth. I wonder, is that what people think about when you describe the word 
church to them. Actually, God's plan has always been to impact nations and have people from every people group, every tribe, every tongue, every language, every nation under heaven represented there. And actually, the church would offer a foretaste of that now. So, you've got this word church you could use to describe the universal church, as we've done there. But also the word church is used in the New Testament to describe a local church. So something like Jubilee, for example, or other churches that we might know of, even in, in, in Derby. So, you know, there's a, there's a great breadth of great churches in this city. You know, churches like, uh, I guess if I start naming them, I'll, list, I'll forget ones, won't I? And I'll, I'll get in trouble. But, you know, there, there are many good churches in Derby that you, you might know. You know, think churches like Community Church or St. Altman's or Aussie Road Baptist or City Church or New Life. or well, There are loads. There are lots more. But actually, each one, whilst it's part of the universal church, it's also a distinct local church. It's a distinct expression of God's people together. It's a distinct local community. And that's what you find in the book of Acts as well. You find that when people decided to follow Jesus, when they were saved, they were also added to an expression of the local church. And so, for example, in Acts chapter 5, we read something of this in Acts 5 verse 12. It says that the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders among the people, And all the believers used to meet together in Solomon's colonnades. No one else dared join them, even though they were highly regarded by the people. Nevertheless, more and more men and women believed in the Lord and were added to their number. As a result, people brought the sick into the streets and laid them on beds and mats so that at least Peter's shadow might fall on some of them as he passed by. Crowds gathered also from the towns around Jerusalem bringing their sick and those tormented by evil spirits. And all of them were healed. But they gathered together. Do you see that? And as people responded to the Lord, they were added to their number. You often find that phrase in the New Testament. People were saved, but they were also added into a local expression of a church. And whilst on one hand people were slightly fearful to join them because of God's presence and what he was doing, God still added people to them. And it was, a, it was a growing thing. And as I said earlier, our expression of being added to is, is what we call membership. And it was great to uh, welcome Jeremy and Helen into membership of Jubilee this morning. But as well as being added to, and you finding in the book of Acts that you were added to a local church, you also find in Acts a description of what the church was like, and what it was like to be part of this early church. So a couple of chapters back in Acts chapter 2, you get what some of you will know as perhaps some of my favourite verses uh, in, the, in the New Testament. And I have to be careful not to stay here for the rest of the morning, which I could easily do. But in the book of, uh, sorry, in Acts chapter 2, you get a description of what it was like to be part of that early church. So, <clears throat> when people responded to the gospel, they asked what they should do. Peter replied, Acts 2.38, repent and be baptised, every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children, and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words, he warned them and pleaded with them, save yourselves 
from this corrupt generation. And verse 41 says, those who accepted his message were baptised and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. There's that little phrase again. And it goes on to describe what it was like. It says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. Selling their possessions and goods they gave to anyone as he had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favour of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. There's that little phrase about being added to once again. But it was a quality community. It would have been a remarkable group of people to be part of. The way that they loved one another, the way they shared their possessions, they ate together, spent time together, cared for one another. They were devoted to one another. It's interesting, they were devoted to the Lord, clearly. They were devoted as well to the teaching that they received. And clearly they were devoted to one another as well. I wonder, does devotion describe you this morning? Are you devoted? I guess most of us would say, oh yes, I'm devoted to the Lord. Well, that's good. That's the starting point. But here you find they were not only devoted to the Lord, they were devoted really to the church, to one another, to receiving the teaching, to caring for one another, giving their lives to one another, sharing life as they went on. I wonder, are you devoted in the same way this morning? That's what you find in the New Testament, that quality of community, that quality of church life. Devotion is probably the best word you can use to describe it. Is that your experience, I wonder, this morning? Maybe there's a challenge for some of us there. But often people say things like, well, you don't have to go to church to be a Christian. Have have any of you ever heard someone say that? You know, probably many of us would have heard people say, well, that's fine, I I, I like Jesus, but I can't be doing this church thing. Surely you don't have to go to church to be a Christian. Well, it's interesting, isn't it, that time and again, as we've found in just the few verses we've read this morning, people responded to the Lord and were added to the church. The things went together. It was just part of the same deal. That's the New Testament norm. It's clear that you make an individual response to follow Jesus. Only you can do that for yourself. Nobody else can do it for you. But the Christian life shouldn't be then lived out as an individual. You're designed to live it out in community, not just on your own. One particular commentator said this, he said, The freelance Christian who would be a Christian but is too superior to belong to the visible church upon earth in one of its forms is simply a contradiction in terms. If we're going to love Jesus and follow him, we're designed to do that in community. We're designed to be part of a local church. So actually the church isn't just an optional extra for the really enthusiastic Christians, <laughs> but it's part of following Jesus. It's desire, you're meant to do it in community with one another, not just on your own. And the church is right at the heart, at the very centre of God's purposes in the earth. And if you're a Christian, if you decided to love and follow Jesus, then you're going to then live that out as part of a community, as part of a local church. Now, there are four analogies that the Bible uses to try and describe uh, what the church should be like. And they're different pictures, 
and none of them have got, you know, all the facets of the church encompassed in, in, the, in, the, in the description. And there are many different pictures the Bible uses to try and help us to get hold of what it means. And uh, in these moments we've got remaining, there are four that I want to look at. Because each of these, is it three or four? I forget now. Each of these gives us a different idea of what it is to be part of the local church and what the church should be like. So the first one is the family of God. The family of God. The Bible says that when we receive Christ and follow him, we become children of God. And we're joined to a new family. So you're adopted as sons and daughters of the Most High God. You have a new father in heaven. You're now in God's family. So when a, when a child is adopted into, into a new family, then they receive new parents, don't they? And often that happens because their previous experience of, of earthly parents perhaps hasn't been so great and they're adopted into a new family. But actually, whatever your experience of earthly parents has been, whether it's been great or whether it's been not so great, when you become a Christian and when you decide to follow Jesus, you're adopted into a new family and you have a new father in heaven. You're part of a family of God. And as well as that affecting your relationship with God, because he's now your heavenly father, that should also affect your relationship with one another, because you're part of the same family. Now the Bible instructs us how to live uh, in this family with one another. Uh, Paul says in Ephesians 4, he says, Be completely humble and gentle, be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. So that's, what it, that's how we should try and live in the local church. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. So there's no excuse now for backbiting or gossip or speaking ill of one another. You're in a new family. You've got a new father and you've got new brothers and sisters in this family as well. And you're called to have fellowship with one another. Now, it's interesting, isn't it? People often say, you can choose your friends but you don't get to choose your family. And I'm sure none of you would have said that. However, <laughs> it's also true, isn't it, when it comes to the church, because God adds all sorts of people into the church. And it's great. I love it. People from all sorts of different backgrounds and cultures and experiences. Church should never describe just one group of people which you know, has the, you know, just the same background or the same level of income, or the, the same level of education, or the same whatever you know, description you might try and add, but rather the church would encompass a whole breadth of people from all sorts of different backgrounds and experiences, and particularly living in a city like Derby, which is uh, so rich in terms of people from different cultures and nationalities, as well as that, the church should reflect that. And have people from different nationalities and nations and, and backgrounds in the church. It's about being joined together in Christ by God himself. Now the Bible's word which it uses to describe this, these sort of relationships we call fellowship. And uh, it's a much stronger thing than friendship. And actually we, we know that as Christians we need that fellowship with, with one another. The koionia is the, is the Greek word that's used. 
And too often Christians think, oh, I can just get by on my own. It's okay, I'll, I'll be fine. I don't need that sort of relationship. I don't need that fellowship. But actually, each of us do. So often I've seen people say things like, well, you know, I'm fine on my own. I don't need that sort of fellowship. I don't need to be part of a church. Or, you know, I don't need to be so stuck in. I can just get by on my own. And so often over the years I've seen people who have said that in time just fall away from the Lord. You see, we're designed to live out our Christian lives in relationship with one another. Yes, obviously relationship with our Lord Jesus. But as well as that, with one another and each other to encourage us and help us along the way. And I'd hate for any of you to lose your faith or you lose your enthusiasm for Jesus and your love for him. And one of the ways that you help keep that strong is have that sort of fellowship and relationship with others. D.L. Moody, the American preacher, the story goes, was once visiting a prominent Chicago citizen when the idea of church membership and involvement came up. I believe I can be just as good a Christian outside the church as I can be inside it, the man said. Moody said nothing. Instead, he moved to the fireplace, blazing against the winter outside, removed one burning coal, and placed it on the hearth. The two men sat together and watched the ember die out. I see, the other man said, after a while. It's true for coals, isn't it? They need each other to keep alight. And friends, it's true for us as well. Let's not say we're above it. Let's not say it doesn't apply to me. Actually, we all need one another to live out this Christian life in a way that honours the Lord. Don't neglect fellowship. You're now in the family of God. That's one of the pictures the Bible uses. The second picture we we can summarise is the body of Christ. So the second picture now the Bible uses is, is the body of Christ. And obviously Jesus himself is the head. The Bible's very clear about that. He's the head of the church. He's the head of this body. But all of us have a part to play as well. We're all, we all have a different part. We all have a different function. We all have different gifts and different roles. You see, in, in the same way that any human body, of which this is a fine specimen, I'm sure you would agree, has different parts... Stop laughing, some of you. Has different parts that have you know, different reasons for existence. All are needed. So if I'm going to walk around, I, I need my legs. I need my feet. I actually need my toes to help me balance. If I'm going to pick something up, I need a hand and some fingers to do that. If I'm going to talk, I need a mouth and a tongue and a voice box and hopefully a brain that occasionally engages with them to say something. All these different parts are needed, and the same is true in the church. We all have different parts to play, and we all have different roles that God wants us to fulfill. You see, every part is important. So, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, we don't have time to look at it all this morning. Paul says this, he says, The body is a unit that is made up of many parts. And though all its parts are many, they form one body. So it is with Christ. We were all baptised by one spirit into one body. Whether Jew or Greek, slave or free, we are all given the one spirit to drink. And he goes on, if the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body, it wouldn't for that reason cease to be part of the body. And if the ear should, should say, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body, 
it would not for that reason cease to be part of the body. Because if the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? And so Paul goes on, trying to illustrate the point that just as the human body has different parts that have different functions, so it is with the body of Christ. So, the question for each of us is this. Hello, Reuben. The question is this. What's your gift? What has, given, what has God given you to bring? What is your contribution to the body? Now, we're not all going to have the same thing. We're not all going to be an eye, or all going to be a hand, or an ear, or whatever it might be. We're all going to be different. We're going to have different gifts to bring. What is it that God has given you to bring? And as well as that, the second question is, are you using it? Do you know what God has given you? And are you using it to serve him in his church? See, we're Christ's hands, we're his feet, and we're his body in some situations, aren't we? So we can be Jesus to people. So as Kevin was talking earlier about the, the Love Derby Christmas parcels that we're giving to the uh, residents of Faith, Hope and Enterprise in Derby over Christmas, it's a way of being Jesus to them and showing God's love to them in a practical way. See, we can do things practically that help bring Christ to people. That's part of being the body of Christ as well. John Wimber, who founded the Vineyard Movement of Churches, was once approached by a member of his congregation who had met someone in great need. After the Sunday service, this man told Wimber of his frustration in trying to get help. This man needed a place to stay, food and support while he gets on his feet and looks for a job, he said. I'm really frustrated. I tried telephoning the church office, but no one could see me and they couldn't help me. I finally ended up having to let him stay with me for the week. Don't you think the church should take care of people like this? John Wimber says he thought for a moment and then said, looks like the church did. You see, we are the body of Christ. Each of us has a responsibility in it and a part to play. You are the church, each one of you. You're part of it. Who are you going to be Jesus to today? So, the church is the body of Christ. It's the family of God. It's also a holy temple. Now, although in our language the word church is most associated wrongly with a building, in the New Testament the only church building we find is one made up of people. So in Ephesians 2, Paul says this, he says, And in him you two are being built together to become, become a dwelling in which God lives by his Spirit. So you and I are being built together by the Lord as a dwelling place for his Spirit, a holy temple. You see, in, an, in the Old Testament times, the temple was right at the very centre of Old Testament worship life. It's where it all happened. It's where you went to, to make a sacrifice. It's where, um, <clears throat> it's where sacrifices were given. It's where, at times, God's presence dwelt. It's where the priests were. You know, it's right at the very centre of Old Testament life with God. And in those times, access to God was via a priest. You, d- you couldn't just get access to God any time, any way, any how you liked Actually, even only the high priest got to go into the Holy of Holies once a year. Even he couldn't go in at any time. 
And so you, you, know, you take sacrifices to atone for your sins. Sacrifice will be given and offered to the Lord. Everything happened around the temple. But now, in Jesus, we have a great high priest. So in Hebrews 4, I don't think we've got time to, to read it all this morning. It, the writer talks about Jesus now being uh, the great high priest. It says, therefore, since we have a great high priest who has gone through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we don't have a high priest who is unable to sympathise with our weaknesses. We have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet was without sin. So now we've got this great high priest in Jesus. So no more sacrifices are required. You, know, you don't have to bring a lamb or a pigeon or something else on a Sunday morning to sacrifice. It's good, isn't it? Oh, I'm pleased about it. I'm sure you are as well. Because now Jesus is our great high priest and he himself actually has sacrificed himself. So now we can all approach God. We don't need to go through a priest anymore. It isn't just once a year the high priest gets to go into a certain place. No, no, now through Jesus, once we trust in him, we can all approach God. You don't need to go through anybody particularly. And Peter says this in 1 Peter 1, he says, As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by men, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. You see, Jesus was the ultimate perfect sacrifice. And he paid the price for your sin. Once and for all. Now, no more sacrifices required. He's done it. It's complete. It's finished. So by trusting in him, you now have access to God. So God is building us together as a dwelling place for his presence, a holy temple. And the final picture we'll look at is the bride of Christ. The bride of Christ. The Old Testament speaks about God being a husband to Israel. And the New Testament speaks of Christ being a husband to the church. And just as a bride gets ready for her wedding day, so the church is to get ready for and look forward to the day when Jesus will return. And when Jesus returns, it will be the end of time as we know it. There will be a new heaven and a new earth. And Revelation 21 says this, See John describing what he sees again. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men, and he will live with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. So that's what's to come. And in many ways it's a curious picture, isn't it? It's quite hard to get hold of and, it, and imagine. But it's one of the pictures the Bible uses to try to help us understand what the church should be like. So God wants to transform you. And transform me so that we together are ready for the return of his son. So, 
What does it all mean? It means that you are the family of God. It means that you are the body of Christ. You are a holy temple. And you are the bride of Christ. And so knowing that and understanding those things should, should stir us towards holy living and a desire to please God and to honour him with our lives. But before we finish, sometimes people ask this question. They say something like, that's fine, but is the church relevant today? Is it relevant now in the 21st century? Is it relevant today? Bill Hybels, who leads a, a church in Chicago in the States, he often uses the phrase, the local church is the hope of the world. And the reason it's the hope of the world is because it's a carrier of the gospel. It's the church that has responsibility to proclaim and indeed to demonstrate the good news about Jesus. Hybels tells a story, which is this. He just, he just finished leading a service when he writes... He writes this, in leading a service, he says, A young married couple approached me, placed a blanketed bundle in my arms, and asked me to pray for their baby. So bear in mind, we're asking the question, is the church relevant today? He goes on. As I asked what the baby's name was, the mother pulled back the blanket that had covered the infant's face. I felt my knees begin to buckle. I thought I was going to faint. Had the father not steadied me, I may well have keeled over. In my arms was the most horribly deformed baby I'd ever seen. The whole centre of her tiny face was caved in. How she kept breathing, I'll never know. All I could say was, oh my, oh my. Her name is Emily, said the mother. We've been told she has about six weeks to live. We'd like you to pray that before she dies, she will know and feel our love. Barely able to mouth the words, I whispered, let's pray then for Emily. Together we prayed, and oh, did we pray. As I handed her back to her parents, I asked, is there anything we can do for you? Any way that we as a church can serve you during this time? Her father responded with words that still amaze me. He said, Bill, we're okay. Really we are. We've been in a loving small group for years. Our group members knew that this pregnancy had complications. They were at our house the night we heard the news and they were at the hospital when Emily was delivered. They helped us absorb the reality of the whole thing. They even cleaned their house, cooked our meals when we brought her home. They pray for us constantly and call us several times a day. They are even helping us to plan her funeral. Just then, three other couples stepped forward and surrounded Emily and her parents. We always attend church together as a group, said one of the group members. It was a picture I would always carry to my grave. A tight-knit huddle of loving brothers and sisters doing their best to soften one of, one of the cruelest blows life can throw. After a group prayer, I all walked up an aisle towards the lobby. As they left, I wondered, where would that family be? Where would they go? How would they handle this heartbreak without the church? You see, there's nothing like the church when it's working right. His beauty is indescribable. You see, the local church really is the hope of the world. It's the church that carries the message of the gospel. It's the church that seeks to speak it out and live it out. And it's the church that seeks to care for one another in great fellowship and love and help one another to follow Jesus and be true to him. 
So what about you? Are you speaking out that message of the gospel? Are you living it out? Are you in fellowship with one another, seeking to love one another and help each other on as we seek to follow Jesus together? If you're new to Jubilee, if you're new to church, if maybe you're on Alpha at the moment, my encouragement to you is come on in. Get stuck in. Follow Jesus. Receive his presence in your life. Find your gift. Start using it. Get stuck into a small group. And let's follow Jesus together. If you've been around a while, then my question to you is this. Are you committed to the church? Not just to the Lord, but to his people. To one another as well. You see, no church is perfect. Every church, and this one included, is made up of imperfect people. Rick Warren says this, he says, The sooner we give up the illusion that our church must be perfect in order to love it, the sooner we quit pretending and start admitting we're all imperfect and need grace. This is the beginning of real community. And it's true. The writer of the Hebrews says this in Hebrews 10, 25. Let us not give up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another, and all the more, as you see the day approaching. Let me ask you, are you giving yourself to God's purposes on the earth, outward through the church? I want to encourage us this morning, firstly, to give ourselves to the Lord. That's got to be our number one, isn't it? Firstly, to give ourselves to him. But then let's also give ourselves to one another. Let's give ourselves to his purposes worked out through the church in order that we might be the family of God, the bride of Christ. This loving community that God has added us to in order that we might love one another and love him as we seek to serve him and follow him together. We stand together and I'm going to pray as we finish. Lord Jesus, we do thank you for the church. We obviously thank you for you and your love and your work in our lives. But we thank you also for your plan. We thank you for adding us to the local church. We thank you for one another. We thank you, Lord, that you've designed this Christian life to live in community, not on our own, but with one another along the way. And so, Father, we pray that jubilee would be that sort of local church we've looked at this morning. Father, whether it be the descriptions we've read in Acts or other stories we've heard this morning, Father, I pray that we would be that sort of church that loves you, that seeks to love one another and love and serve those who don't know you yet. Father, we want to be that sort of church. And Lord, it's not some other thing, but Lord, it's each of us as individuals being caught up in it. And so, Father, I want to pray this morning you would catch us up afresh in your purposes in the church. Lord, that you would build us together. There would be such a sense of love and community and fellowship, such an honouring of you, Lord, that we might be such a witness to this world you've put us in. Help us, Lord, to build Jubilee in a way that honours you. And, Father, would you be exalted and glorified in our relationships, in our love for one another and in all that we do to seek to bring, to bring your love to the world around us. Father, we thank you for being with us this morning. Thank you for your hand of grace upon our lives. We pray that you, we might know your presence with us this week. We ask it, please, in Jesus' name. Amen.
Amen. Well, God bless you. Thank you for being here this morning. Pray you have a great week. Look forward to seeing you at one of our life groups during the week. Thanks for listening to this Jubilee Church podcast. Feel free to check out our website at www.jubilee.org.uk and come along on any Sunday morning.